Hey guys and girls, welcome to another episode of Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the outsourcing space with a gentleman called Magnus Gustafsson, who is the head of global business development at Biovian. I didn't know this business very well until today, so it was really fascinating to get an insight into, I suppose, Finland's leader in the viral vector manufacturing space. And my guest, Magnus, has worked in the biopharma manufacturing space for well over 20 years. Uh, He holds several uh, kind of educational qualifications, including an MSc in biochemical engineering, an MBA, and a PhD in medical protein science. He's worked for the likes of AZ, GE, Resi Farm, and Cobra Biologics uh, before joining the team at Biovium. I really enjoyed uh, speaking to him today because he is a very understated guy uh, that operates for a very understated business. But what was really quite insightful was hearing about the business and how it has a 96% staff retention rate and an unbelievably high NPS score. And Magnus talks about how they've managed to achieve that. He also goes deep on the kind of viral vector manufacturing space and some of the challenges they have in terms of the cost of manufacturing and processing and how that needs to be balanced against uh, giving patients access to these uh, new therapeutic areas. He also talks about how we need to find a way of bringing that cost down and he expects to do that over the next kind of 10 to 20 years and that there will be other technologies that will also kind of rival viral vectors and that we should uh, be prepared for that. And interestingly, he also talks about the Scandinavian region, which is one that I hold very dear to my heart and have always enjoyed my time there and kind of lifts the lid on, on what life is like there and, and what makes uh, a good organisation and employer in that region. As always, I really hope you enjoy today's episode. And if you do, please do me a little favour by going onto your uh, app store of choice and giving us a little five-star rating. And even better, just send the link to this episode to a colleague or industry contact and just keep sharing the love. Enjoy today's episode. We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. Because you're listening to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. Hey, Magnus, welcome to the show. Hello, Raman. I'm happy to be here. It's a, it's a pleasure having you here with us today. So thanks for, thanks for making the time. And Magnus, just to start off with, you know, it'd be great to give our listener a bit of a feel for who you are and, and how you kind of got into the sector. And, you know, tell us a little bit about your kind of career today, because I know you've had some really interesting positions in, in kind of uh, both on the CDMO side and in big pharma. So it'd be great for you just to kind of give, give us a bit of an overview of, of your journey to date. Yes, of course. Uh, my pleasure. I mean, obviously that's a, a big question. I, I can go on forever on <laughs> what I've done before, um, but I, I don't want to bore 
all your listeners. Um, I started my career, I think, uh, 21 years ago when I finished my PhD. Uh, and at that time, I was a convinced um, scientist. Um, that I now work in business development is probably just the circumstances. I worked for AstraZeneca when uh, uh, the bio site was um, um, divested and became a CDMO. That was in 2009. And um, the company Resifarm Biologics was formed. Mm -hmm. Um, we were all scientists working for AstraZeneca and, um, and someone had to do uh, the business development and that became me. So just on a, on a chance, I guess. And uh, I, I loved it. Uh, so I'm, I'm still doing basically the same thing as I did uh, from 2009 and onwards. I'm a, I'm a kind of a curious person. So I... I like to understand how things works, and I um, um, the more complicated um, the projects are, the more interested I become, I guess. And if you could talk about uh, your kind of time with, obviously, Vesifarm, Cobra, and, you know, obviously then to a little bit also about, you know, Biovian and the business that you're at. Biovian, sorry, the business you work for today, and how did how did that journey ultimately lead you to where you are in your current role? Yeah, so uh, one thing led to another. Um, Resifarm Biologics turned into Resifarm Cobra Biologics, which were spun out to become Cobra Biologics, and I worked for the company for ten years uh, and built um, uh, quite a lot of of the team and, and revenue. We uh, triplicated sales in, in those years and uh, triplicated in number of people employed as well. So it was a great expansion and, and uh, it was really fun work. I eventually, after my MBA, so I got an ex executive MBA, thought that uh, strategy was the thing I wanted to focus on. So I joined um, G Healthcare Life Sciences, it was called at that time, and now it's called Cytiva. Mm -hmm. In a, in a position to understand um, where the market was going in order for Sativa to stay relevant in the field. You know, it was everything from viral vectors and exosomes and mRNA, you can probably imagine. Um, and and uh, really with the focus to, to make sure that uh, Sativa was not missing out on any opportunities that, that should be identified. Mm -hmm. um, but... In the end, it became a little bit too theoretical for me. I, I'm probably more of a small company, hands-on type of person. So when uh, Biovian asked if I wanted to join them, I happily accepted. And I think it's the best thing I've done so far in my career, even though I have probably done a lot of other things as well. Uh, and that's because uh, Biovian is such a pleasant company to work for. It's really, really um, a nice culture. I, I feel uh, motivated and happy every day. Mm, that's great, great to hear. And, uh, and and I was going to ask you about kind of what 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 is it you know what attracted you to the business. And I was I was very curious myself to see um, the phrase manufacturing happiness on on the website of the business. But before I before you go into that, can you 
give our listener a bit of an overview of you know what what the business does, uh, you know who it serves. Uh, it's obviously based in Finland as well. So any any kind of overview or kind of uh, insight of of the company and and how it was formed as well. Uh, yes, of course. I mean, I, I have only worked for BioV now for for a year, a little bit more than a year, and the company is 19 years. So th- there is a lot of history here where I can, of course, tell you what I and I knew about Biovian. I've known about Biovian for a very long time. I mean, the, the Nordics is not uh, a very big geography, so um, uh, a company like Biovian will will be noticed. Um, the company was formed by five co-founders in 2003 and four of those are still active in the company management uh, and i think this is probably a part of the reason why why the company culture is so so good you know they uh, they have invested with their own skin into the game um, they are still working for the company and and the the knowledge and competence of of Basically, everything within the company is still there. We have an employee, re, employee retention rate of more than 96%. So it really shows uh, that you know, people do like to work for Biovian. And, and the artifact of that is, of course, that the competence stay in the company. So year on year, we, you know, we, we're building on that track record and, and it's still in the company. Which is probably why our clients then turn to us for complicated solutions, because we, we do have a lot of of employees with a lot of um, experience. Uh, we do serve smaller type of uh, biopharmaceutical development companies, I would say, especially on the on the viral vector side, uh, and also recombinant E. coli proteins, uh, and we do. Um, we try to to provide a um, a comprehensive service or a so-called one-stop shop. Um, for us, that means that you know we should be able to take a product all the way through preclinical to to um, a marketed drug. Um, so a very long, but also all the steps needed. So uh, from uh, cell banks or plasmids or um, whatever the starting point would be, all the way to released drug. So we do uh, manufacturing uh, of these modalities, but we also do a drug product um, and a septic fill and finish in in different lines, but at small scale. So uh, we're not a commercial manufacturer, I would say. Our niche is at least yet. more smaller scale operations and you're obviously you mentioned some I suppose, plasmid manufacturing the viral vector space your biovians very much in the hottest part of the market right now so am i correct in assuming that that's driving quite a lot of growth in in your business and and link closely to that i'm curious to kind of see how you know, Finland's not necessarily, you know, a location where you would, ne- you know, you would, you would think of a, a viral vector manufacturing, and certainly I, I didn't. So, how does how does the location and talent play into your ability to keep up with the growth? Um, is you know, obviously the founders have done a great job and have built a great culture, but I'm guessing 
it's uh, you know when supplies or oh, sorry demand is high, being able to supply and, and get the talent in in Finland to help deliver is I suspect a challenge. But it'd be great if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes, I think that's a great question because it surprises me as well. You know why why Finland or or Sweden for that matter? So I'm based in Sweden, um, but the company is based in across the sea in Finland. Um, why it works, basically, you know, it's it's not on the east coast of the U.S. Uh, or any other hot t- spots in the world for viral vector manufacture. But the company has been profitable since start, and it has been growing since the start. Uh, it was profitable during the financial crisis, and it has been profitable during the COVID crisis. Um, so I, I would say that management really are, are good at managing the company. Um, it has grown. So now we are 120, I think, um, from fairly low numbers. I don't know where they were when they started, but you know something like 20 people, something like that. And, um, and this probably have, you know, made so much experience within the management uh, on how to grow a company. There have been constant recruitments over the years and constant uh, taking new space um, into consideration. So it's, um, it's, um, it's amazingly how well it works. Um, in, in respect of growth. And I mean, you are entirely right, of course. You know, the demand is, is very high, uh, especially at the time for the time being. And, uh, and obviously growth is accordingly. Yeah, and that's, that's so interesting to kind of get that perspective in terms of, you know, why it works and, and the good work that the founders have done. And, um, and I wanted to come back to something I asked earlier, but I didn't probably make it uh that apparent but i was really interested in something on the website that said uh manufacturing happiness which i've never seen on a cdmo website so i was curious to know what that means and and does that link to you mentioned the culture being very pleasant within the business is that are they linked together in that the the manner in it the manner in which you guys do business is developed in a way to to manufacture happiness in in your customers or, or maybe i've completely <laughs> misunderstood what it's about yeah no you yeah, i think you're completely right uh, manufacturing happiness as for i i remember carl turner from main pharma was on your show some time ago when he was speaking about four c's where customer centricity was his fourth c and and customer Centricity is a difficult one, uh, and it, it was, you know, something of a necessity for him to outsource. And customer centricity is probably what Biovian sell, but it's a hard sell. You know, everyone can sell a best product or best price, but working close to clients and and making sure that they are satisfied is a difficult one because everyone can claim it. Biovian have a, a net promoter score of 72. I don't know if you're aware of this. No, I do. That's very, that's, that's very, very high. That's in the world-class uh, bracket, if I understand. If I mind yeah, that, I think it's considered excellent. So it, it means that 72 um, out of 100 would rank Biovian as a 9 or 10 on the scale 
from 1 to 10, uh, answering the question, would you recommend Biovian to a colleague or peer? And a 9 and 10 on that scale, you know, it, it puts you in the, in the positive um, referral bucket. And, and for me, that's unheard of. I, I have worked with other CDMOs, many CDMOs, and I outsource to other CDMOs. But, you know, that kind of satisfaction has, is unique in my experience. Maybe you have more info on this because you speak so, to, to so many CDMOs. Yeah, no, no, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting uh, question. And I, I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, not necessarily to tell us all the secret sauce or anything like that, but what is it about the, you know, is it just keeping your promises, meeting deadlines? Um, is it the culture? You know, is it the Finnish culture? You know, what what is it that has, uh, has helped you guys achieve that MPS score and that kind of real sense of satisfaction and in, in referrals amongst existing clients? Very good question. I've thought about it a lot. I mean, it's obviously it's not due to me. I have only been <laughs> with the company for years. I cannot claim any of this. But I, I have, and I have thought about it. Uh, I, I do think it originates with the fact of these four uh, co-founders still working and managing the company. They started it. They built it. They have successfully recruited people, and then it. It also includes, of course, um, the, the, the competence level of, of people. So 50% or more of, of our employees are master or PhD level students. So there is a, a real pool of, of talent in the company uh, solving problems. And then the employee retention rate being more than 96%. They all indicate to me that that employees are happy. And if employees are happy, then they like to go to work. And <laughs> obviously that reflects on how we manufacture for our clients, which makes them happy. So all of these link or boil down to the concept of manufacturing happiness. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, it's a great, I mean, I'm, I, now I always come back to the simplistic things, which, you know, Happy people, happy clients is a, is a very simple but effective way of operating a business. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's it's my it's my dream scenario. That's why I'm so happy I, I joined Bioven. Bio I, I had no idea this was the case before I joined. Of course, I had a feeling, but I, how could I know? But um, it's so easy to say, and you know, we strive towards this. And if you set up a CDMO, this is exactly where you want to go. But how do you build it? You know, there is no secret recipe for this. It's it's probably hard work and a dedicated team that has been doing a great work for years. That, and and Biovin has not been growing through marketing so far. Um, it, it was growing through um, word of mouth for until two, three years ago when we started to try to expand the business a bit more. Um, it was basically so that a new client was uh, always referred from, from an existing client. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is a good sign, right? I know ultimately positive word of mouth and referral, if that's driving the majority of your business development leads, then you have to be happy. 
with that. So that seems uh, that seems great. And you mentioned before, obviously, you're based in Sweden. Uh, Biovian's based in Finland, and you know, personally, I've managed to spend quite a lot of time in Scandinavia and you know, Denmark and Sweden. Um, you know, for our listeners that don't know that part of the world from a a, a drug development perspective and from a pharma biotech perspective, do you mind if you if it's possible to just paint a picture of the region? I know obviously Medicon Valley is a, a you know big part of that as well. You know, just to give our listeners a bit of a you know, flavour for what's the setup like in in Scandinavia for you know within drug development and, and manufacturing. So I would say that the Nordic region is very innovative. Um, I, I don't know exactly how what the ranking is now, but on a on a global scale, it's very innovative, and the education level is very high. Um, universities are, for instance, free, or of course they're not free, but they're tax, tax paid. Mm-hmm. So, so me, for instance, I have three different degrees. It's not that I have paid for them, uh, and and it's not that I really need them either. It's more <laughs> out of curiosity, you know, um, because it's so easy uh, to keep studying, uh, and you can do it while while working as well if you prefer to, uh, and and that kind of reflects the and and also people are in general very happy in the nordic countries um you know we have a, a lot of social welfare systems built up and um, there's a very nice nature in finland alone i think it's 180,000 islands and it's 40,000 islands in the archipelago out, outside turku where the manufacturing is so it's a very nice place to 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 be at and live at um, and maybe that reflects also then um, on on uh, the manufacturing and and you know how to solve uh, problems um, both from the experience and and um, competence level of people and and to the fact that people enjoy going to work and live their lives. It's yeah, maybe it's not more complicated than that. I don't know. You are listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. Because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. You know, just speaking to you today, and <clears throat> I don't know the business very well, and there's almost like a, it strikes me like there's a simplicity to the business that is is what is making it so effective. Clearly, you do very complicated highly technical things in terms of viral vector manufacturing and, and that type of thing. But there seems to be uh, a sense of calm and simplicity with the manner in which you guys operate, which is then reflected and manifests itself and have a happy staff and happy clients and, and growth and, and all that type of thing, which is uh, which is really good, really fascinating uh, to hear. So thanks thanks for kind of sharing uh, some of the story. And, and how, how, is, how is the pandemic 
um, impacted the business and you know how in the manner in which you guys are able to do your day-to-day work not necessarily from a remote working you know a kind of COVID welfare perspective but more from a has it made you has it has it led to more opportunities because of you know obviously the (laughs) the capabilities that you have or has it has it made business more more challenging in in some respects well it it's more challenging from the perspective of of getting material so uh, raw materials and consumables and plastics and so on um, lead times are are much longer now but from a perspective of providing um, projects to clients it's not that difficult uh, I actually thought when I started, so I started during the pandemic um, and it took me a year before I were able to visit Biovian, even though, you know, we'll, it's it's essentially very close. Um, but it was not open. The borders were closed. And if, if go changing between different countries, uh, even though it's the Nordic, you have to quarantine for two weeks. So obviously that didn't make any sense. Um, uh, but I, I think we have changed a bit in, in the business model or lead generation. So previously, conferences were very important. Um, you went to a conference, worked up 20 new good leads and then contacted them and, and hopefully got a new, few new clients out of it. That, that doesn't happen um, at the time being. So now it's more. Um, we we have a lot of clients contacting us actually, and obviously it's the same for them. I mean, so previously they also went to these conferences and identified the CDMOs they wanted to to speak to, uh, and they're not able to do that, so they have to contact us. And also, of course, we we reach out to to um, the companies we think would need our services. And actually, it's not that complicated. I mean, the, the viral vector market is, is big, but it's not huge. It's not more than um, 800 different AV projects in the world and you know, half the number of companies or so. So you can contact all of them just one by one. And that's more or less what we do. And do you see that market... You know, obviously, you mentioned kind of 800 AV projects, you know, opportunities almost globally at the minute. Do you, from the, you know, your market data and what you see, do you see that continuing to grow that, you know, in a year's time, that will be, you know, 1,500 or 3,000 or whatever? Do you, do you just think that we're just going to see more of a, a ballooning of, of that, that, that market and, and opportunity for you guys? Yes, I, I do think we will see ballooning of that. The problem with balloons is that they might burst. <laughs> and, and the problem, I mean, the viral vectors will be around for as long as that's the best way to deliver a gene to, to a human genome. But as soon as something else works equally good or even better, CRISPR-Cas9 or you know, some non-viral vector delivery system really works, then uh, everyone will sh- shift. You know, there will not be any viral vectors any longer. And but I mean that that it doesn't happen overnight, of course. 
but eventually I, I do think it will happen because there are side effects with viral vectors. Maybe uh, for right now, I mean, a lot of research is going into um, development of viral vectors so that they get less immunogenic and um, to increase titers, um, make uh, quality better. But the best would be to just give it up and, and, and do something else. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. That's a, it's a really good insight that, you know, you can kind of everyone jumping on on the bandwagon, so to speak, to, you know, to take advantage of this trend. But, you know, something else can, can come in the background. You know, it's almost like, you know, in the, many years ago where you had cassette tapes and CDs and mini discs and, you know, or, you know, and DVDs and what have you, and then Netflix <laughs> comes around and changes the model for all of us. And it's almost this, it, this parallels with, with what you're saying, you know, relative to uh, the drug development space that there's, you know, potential technologies that will just supersede the bandwagon that everybody is on at the minute. But, but nevertheless, you know, I think what's interesting, I suspect for you guys is you're at the cutting edge and that must be exciting for you in, in you know, is, is one of this, but the commercial leads, the you're at the cutting edge of modern drug development right of the some of the most amazing treatments that we've seen for many years and that must be that must be you must get a huge sense of pride for being involved in in that type of uh in that type of arena yes definitely i mean and the the big difference between gene therapy and other biopharmaceuticals is that you you actually treat the disease. You don't, you, you know, you fix it mm-hmm. um, rather than just treating the symptoms of it. And uh, that's a completely different scale of life quality, of course, for these patients. So, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a true pleasure to be part of it. I mean, now obviously our part of it is is on the manufacturing side. We, we don't invent these drugs. Um, mm-hmm. But we do take pride in, in um, providing superior processes to manufacture them, which in the end will be to, to patient benefit as well. Because, I mean, one side is that you can treat the drug, but then you also have to make it affordable. Otherwise, patients will not get the drugs anyway. So, uh, and that we're definitely part of. And is that something you guys work on? Um, I'm, you know, I'm always curious to see how... how- Drug, I mean, obviously, being based in the US, where I am, you see drug, the worst aspects of drug pricing. Um, and what always, you know, something I wonder about is, you know, particularly with viral vector treatments, how how can we make them in a, a more cost-effective manner or, you know, that, that brings them in line and makes them more affordable and makes them more accessible? Do you see that happening now, or do you think that's still a few years away, just because of the, you know, the high value? I suppose that you know, they, they treat a disease. You don't have to treat the, you know, you say you don't have to treat the symptoms. You know, there's an immediate patient benefit without having to, you know, have a five-year treatment program. So the cost savings are arguably bigger. But do you, do you see? Like in, in your day-to-day work, do you see the, the efficiencies coming into play and more competitiveness in the space to try and drive, I suppose, the, the cost down? Or do you think it's still going to take a little bit of time whilst the technology and our understanding of these types of drug products is still relatively limited? 
Yeah, well, everything takes time, obviously, and and our clients are normally not um, very interested in being the first one to try something new. You know, they they try, they they like processes that has been through regulatory approvals. So that that's of course one bottleneck in in this that you need you you have to bet on safe horses in that respect. Um, but the changes come in incremental steps, and you know someone come up with an idea of of um, uh, increasing title, someone else increases the uh, full length duration um, in AV development. Someone else make um, uh, you know large plasmids unnecessary and go for some other DNA technique to to in the end uh, to make the vectors. So it's um, all all of those. Even though you don't notice it every day, these changes are implemented all the time. So it it, it is getting better and better. And I think um, viral vectors are today where monoclonal antibodies were 20 years ago. You know, it started out with very poor titers and requiring 40,000 liter tanks in order to to make any production. Um, and a meaningful production that's completely abandoned now you know now it's much smaller scale reactors and you normally work in six packs of bioreactors in very efficient processes and uh, including upstream and downstream and, and QC in order to release uh, and the titers of um, show cell producing monoclonal antibodies are are tenfold higher at least, maybe even more. So it's um, and, and viral vectors today is just starting, even though you know, there is a few um, products on the market already. But I think we are, you know, we are just uh, starting the, this journey. And I'm guessing you would say that you know, if we were start having this conversation in 20 years' time, the speed and cost of, of you know, manufacturing viral vectors and getting these treatments to patients, you'd expect them to come down, I suspect, in a similar way to of what you just said there. Yes, they have to come down. I mean, otherwise this would be a niche drug forever. You know, people cannot afford hundreds of thousands for a treatment. That would be uh, just a, a few persons in the rich part of the world that can, can pay that kind of money. And it's not so. Diff- uh, it, it's quite understandable that it costs so much. I mean, people might have a uh, a thought that manufacturing companies or development companies should just lower their prices, but it is substantially uh, expensive to manufacture them. You know, to make a AAV viral vector, you have to to make three plasmids if it's a transient. Um, system and all those have to be GMP so in, an, in the end you end up with four GMP processes to produce one viral vector and so it, it is quite reasonable why it's so costly and the, in these CAR T therapies I mean you have to start with extracting cells from the patient, patient and then you treat it and put it back into the patient so it's a it's a one patient GMP process. Of course, it becomes expensive. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. And you just outlined some of the real challenges in this space. And 
as an industry how we have to find more efficient ways to <laughs> to process and, and manufacture such products. We, we have a few minutes left, Magnus, and we've you've covered quite a lot of ground in terms of the viral vector space and you know really insightful stuff that you shared today. What you know in terms of other general, I suppose the last couple of minutes, you know. Other general trends and, you know, you know, what do you think will happen in the next couple of years across the industry? Um, you know, just from your vantage point, obviously, the experience that you've had both, you know, on the pharma side and, you know, more, more recently within, you know, um, on the CDMO side. Just any other big things that you see happening in the way the industry will develop in the next next few years? Well, I, I think that what has already started now will continue. Um, changes doesn't happen overnight, um, and and viral vectors will will be the the focus of tomorrow as well. And amongst the viral vectors, AEV will be the most important one. There are a lot of studies, you know, saying that AEV causes quite a lot of immune response and, and people have died in clinical trials. So it has some disadvantages, but there are no alternatives really. I did have a look at um, non-viral vectors and, and what's in the uh, preclinical and discovery pipeline for the time being. And it's not really that much, to be honest, as yet. Um, even though um, I mean, I'm now talking about CRISPR-Cas9 to take over or, or transposons or some other non-viral vector uh, delivery systems, it's, it's too immature. And so for, for at least um, years to come, I think we will see viral vectors being the dominant player. No, that's great. And it's probably music to the ears of our listeners <laughs> who work in that space every day. But I think a, a real key learning that I've certainly taken from our conversation, Magnus, is that kind of, you know, you never know what, you know, what's around the corner and what's in development that can supersede the technology. And, you know, we've seen in during the pandemic, some relatively academic and research driven technologies become <laughs> become commercialized and used by patients all over the world overnight and i think you're absolutely right i think some of those are in the immature phase at the minute but actually what we've seen is you know circumstantial impact can lead to some of these coming to light much quicker than than we expected so um magnus i've really enjoyed our conversation today and yeah th you know thank you for for sharing some of your day and, and being a guest on on molecule to market certainly and it was my pleasure I mean, it was um yeah thank you very much uh, a true pleasure thank you hi again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule to market pod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing. 
an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.